busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. <sighs> was listening to a podcast from Transformation Church and heard a one-liner that sent me on a rabbit trail of thoughts that I just said, you know what, let me go ahead and discuss it in real time. Pick up the phone and call you. Hmm? The sermon title was something along the line of the devil made me do it. And just kind of outlining how people don't take responsibility for what they've done. And then when those particular set of people get saved, they then now point to the devil making them do everything right. We've all heard of it. There's probably a book named after it. I know there's definitely a play that I went to um, some years ago in New York that Tyler Perry had it. The devil made me do it kind of thing. And what the next statement <laughs> that I heard from the pastor, I believe his name, first name is Charles, don't know his last name. It made me look at things differently. He brought up the fact of the story of Jacob and Esau. And he brought up the fact, and I'm going to go into that in a little bit, but he said one thing, and that thing was, Esau didn't just give up his birthright. He gave up his right for it to have been known or for God to have been known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. I stopped for a minute and I was like, time out. Mm -mm. Time out. Now that I can hear that, that gives me a different perspective. Like, yo, if Jacob didn't do what he did, and get his mother to kind of help out toward the end, Rebecca, uh, we wouldn't have known for God to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. I said, oh, my goodness. Immediately, I said, I wonder if I had the opportunity to text Esau real quick, you know, on a free mobile to mobile plan and I asked him um was it worth it what would he have said like did he know the magnitude in the decision that he was making that he was literally walking on the terrain of risking it all did he know the all that was inclusive in that decision making of the risk did he understand I mean it's one thing to kind of have it where you're like mm, you know yeah, that's worth risking. I don't really care. You know, the coupon's going to expire. It's cool. The dollar off is not really making or breaking if I'm going to buy that. You know, you can kind of gauge and weigh what kind of risk that you're okay with taking. It's a risk, and I'm cool with that. Like, that's fine. But do you understand sometimes the decisions that you're making and that there's a futuristic risk attached to that that you may or may not have given any thought that you probably aren't even truly aware of but there is a sense of rationale that tends to always happen once the decision is made like let's have a real talk conversation you ready because this is what this is about right you ever um did something with your flesh hmm? you ever answered the the call that your uh flesh was uh trying to get you to answer and when you picked up, whether that was going ahead and sleeping with such and such and you know you wasn't supposed to, hmm? 
Whether that was going ahead and drinking that and breaking that sobriety thing promise that you made to yourself. That's too much. Okay, whether it was going ahead and spending that and you know that you're not supposed to because you got this and this coming up, but you like, yo, the casinos is open. Whether it was going ahead and, you know, putting that in the air real quick. Hmm. Uh, speaking of which, uh, isn't that where our sister Shikari Richardson struggled? Right? Not putting no blame on nobody, not even it is what it is. But did she quantify how much that smoke session was going to cost her. Did she analyze the particulars of, hmm, am I really putting myself in the best situation to continuously win? Or is this temporal fix going to have futuristic repercussions? I, I think if we're being honest, we don't think like that. Nobody thinks it says time out before I do this pleasurable thing. Let me go ahead and get the analyst thereof and maximize the potential of finding out. We're not, you know, we're not doing that. We don't have the scientific grandbabies in us. Like it's just, it's not it. Right. So what I want to do is literally look at what made Esau trip up like that. Like what, where did it go wrong kind of thing? And so we're going to go ahead and just jump right into it. I ain't going to hold you. Genesis 25. You know, I read from the NLT version. And we're going to start at, let's start at verse 27. So sidebar, you should know if you were a Bible reading grandbaby. And if not, you're going to know now. And that puts you in the winning. Uh, Esau and Jacob are twins. Their mother had a really hard time getting pregnant. It says it, you know, a couple of verses ahead. And so Isaac went ahead and petitioned to God, like, listen, please, okay, uh, need you to go ahead and help. <laughs> uh, we would like to have some children. So God was like, heard you. And so he gave them double for their trouble real quick, right? And so there was some friction, some animosity, even from the wound. And so Isaac went back to God and was like, so why is this happening Actually, excuse me, the mother went back. Rebecca went back. I'm going to just read it. So still Genesis 25, but let's go to, let's go to verse 21. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. 22. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. 23 and the Lord told her the sons in your womb will become two nations from the very beginning the two nations will be rivals one nation will be stronger than the other and your older son will serve your younger son 24 and when the time came to give birth Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins 25 the first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat so they named him Esau. 26. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Pause. So how wonderful is it, Kay, to have asked God for something? And little did you know uh, what you were asking for was going to cause a riff and a rivalry from the very beginning. I guess that's where the saying came from, uh, be careful what you ask for. 
yeah, that that's not comforting. And that, that wasn't the sonogram appointment I'm sure that she wanted. I'm sure she didn't want to go and be like, mm, there's a lot of activity. I've never been pregnant before, but this seems like more activity than what I think is normal. Like, oh, it's because your kids are not going to like each other. I'm sorry? Yeah, your kids are not going to like each other, and they're also going to have this thing where they're going to become two nations. And, oh, and, and how you're used to things going with your older son kind of being in charge. Yeah, none of that is happening because your um your youngest baby is going to do what it needs to be done. Like, oh, <laughs> Thank you. Do I come back in two weeks? Because who who does that, right? But go. let's go ahead and go to the birthright situation. So I set that backdrop just for you to know that it wasn't always peaches and cream between uh, the twins, right? It wasn't always like, we're brothers. Like, they didn't have that kind of situation. It was very much like, <laughs> knock if you buck, like from the womb, okay? And so verse 27, the overhead says Esau sells his birthright. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferred to stay at home. L- listen, pause. Uh, Jacob, I respect your grandbabyism. You're an introvert. Okay. I respect it. Uh, Esau is an extrovert. Have a nice day. Uh, but we be in this house, and uh, that's just what we be doing. And I appreciate somebody in the Bible, okay, uh, making that very clear that it's okay to be an introvert. Have a nice day. 28. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. 29. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. 30. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. 31. All right, Jacob replied. But trade me your rights as the firstborn son. 32. Look, I'm dying of starvation. Rebuke in the name of Jesus. Said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? 33. But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore on an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal. Then he got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Mm. Let me let me tell you what I got from this. Um <laughs> So let's go back to 29. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. (sighs) Let me tell you how dangerous it is not to have full ownership of the thing that you're great at. When I look at that statement, I see that Jacob was dependent on Esau just as Esau was dependent on Jacob. Esau was the hunter. He's out and about getting the game that you would like to go ahead and eat. However, comma, Jacob was the cook. Hence probably why his mother preferred Jacob because they probably spent a lot of time in the kitchen. And so Jacob couldn't cook unless Esau went hunting. And Esau uh, couldn't eat unless Jacob cooked. 
So what this goes to show me is whatever it is that God has given you to be great at, I'm going to need you to learn a little bit about a lot. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I don't care if you don't know how to make no stew, at least know how to put something on the grill. Okay. This would have all been a non-factor if Esau knew how to feed himself opposed to how to hunt for the family. Do you see the difference in that? And there is something about knowing how to take care of yourself. Matter of fact, there's something about knowing yourself. I'm sure that prior to this, he knew that a day of hunting and being in the wilderness leaves him exhausted and hungry. So, sir, I'm going to need you to talk to your mother and say, hey, can you have me a, um, a skunk egg and cheese sandwich on the side when I get back? Because I'm hungry. I want to do nothing. You know how you feel when you come back from vacation. You, you know that you're going to need that one extra day right before you go back to work because it, do, it doesn't feel good to go on vacation. And the next day you got to go be a real person again. You need a day or two to kind of like, so you may need to, you know, cut down on your vacation time frame. So if you take a week off of work, maybe take three to four days of vacation, but give you that one day to soak up the, at least be able to bask in the fact of reflecting that you had a great vacation. You know how you feel when you go to such and such's house or the family reunion or whatever said get together. You don't like driving in the dark. So don't put yourself in a position where you can't get home comfortably or you got to spend a night somewhere that you, you didn't want to or now the traffic is. Listen, these are things that you have not done for the first time. But do you know yourself well enough to set yourself up for success? I feel bad for Esau. Because it's like, buddy, you're the hunter. You knew you was going to be exhausted. How, how you let the fragrance of what you hunt capture you and now you to pray. How did you let that happen? How did, how did you let that happen? How did you let the thing that you initiate and that you're great at be the very thing that, in, that imprisons you? How did you let th that happen? And that's something for us to think about. There are many things that you're great at. But you don't know all the aspects of the thing that you're great at. So now, isn't that why most celebrities have uh, financial issues? They know how to do the celebrity performance or whatever they're, they're great at. Whether it's singing, acting, what have you. They know how to you know, get, get the brand deal and make themselves an influencer and an icon and all the other E or the above. But they don't know how to manage their money. They don't know how to look over their money. They don't know the accountant terms. So you entrust someone with your money that you are bringing in, that you are generating, and then they get to go ahead and swindle or have it where you owe a billion dollars in taxes now and all these other different things. Why? Because the very source that you're great at now becomes the thing that you're imprisoned to when you don't know all the aspects of it. And I'm not saying go ahead and be a singer and then also be a CPA. But I'm saying when it comes to something that you're generating, I need you to sit down with somebody and say, okay, so, so just show me what these terms, what does the spreadsheet mean? You see what I'm saying? There should never be something that you're generating that you're oblivious to. Mm -mm. I don't know a whole bunch about cars. But the one thing that I do know is if it sounds funny or it smells different or you are seeing something happen that wasn't happening a few weeks or a month ago, 
Yeah, you need to go to somebody that you trust and say, what does that mean when that happened? But before you do that, Google it. Put in your year-making model, okay? The uh, And say, uh, what ha- window not going down. What you do? Okay. And I bet you it's on YouTube somewhere for cheaper than when anybody else will probably quote you somewhere else mechanic-wise. Yeah, I don't I don't have to go ahead and be a mechanic now because I don't like my fingers dirty and I like my um nails done, okay? But what I refuse to do is the thing that I'm generating, the thing that I'm driving, the thing that I'm responsible for, to be the thing that imprisons me because I'm dependent on someone else to inform me on something that is mine. I'm dependent on someone else to advise me on something that I initiate. So in my opinion, that was Esau's first mistake. You can't just be satisfied with being a hunter. I need you to know how to feed yourself. There's something in that. And let that mean what it was supposed to mean. So let's go back to that. 29. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. 30. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. He didn't even ask nice, but that's fine. 31. All right. Jacob replied, betrayed me your rights as the firstborn. 32. Look, I'm dying of starvation. Rebuke the name of Jesus. Say Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? Pause. You ever carried something in your life that has such meaning, but you didn't understand the value of it because you looked at where you are opposed to where you're going? No. Okay. You ever made a decision to be with someone that you know very good and darn well that God was like, ma'am, sir, absolutely not. But uh, you looked at it like, but I'm lonely now. (laughs) But I have the opportunity to have company now. But I get to Netflix and chill now. But I get to go on this dinner date, not alone, now. But I get to have someone text me good morning and good night and, you know, emoji it down now. Yeah, but can I tell you something? Do you understand that you're getting ready to get entangled with someone that um, probably for the next few relationships, you're going to have to get that off of you? Because they're going to introduce you to a level of heartbreak. They're going to introduce you to a level of distrust. They're going to introduce you to a level of narcissism that you have never been privy to. So now for the rest of your relationships until you go ahead and decide you want to go ahead and change that and have God move that from you. You're going to see relationships and people through an entirely different lens. The lens that God never wanted you to see them through. Hmm. Okay. That that. You starting to, oh, okay. Yeah, but you wanted to just go ahead and, um, you know, get that tattoo now because everybody's doing it and, you know, the stamp tramp was dope and it was a trend. And yeah, but, you know, you're going to be a grandmother one day with the tramp stamp. Hmm. Okay. But you want that tongue ring now because, again, the trend. And, yeah. But at some point, you're not going to always work where you ask somebody, can I take your order? So if you can't interview with that on a higher level than where you're currently at, like, why would you let something of that magnitude keep you from qualifying and floating and soaring to higher levels in your future? Yeah, no one thinks about that. 
Because what good is thinking about my future now when I'm trying to itch this scratch or scratch this itch right now? Yeah, don't tell me about my future when I'm hungry now. Don't tell me about no birthright when I'm hungry now, Jacob. I'm trying to fix now. Who cares about later is the most dangerous thing you can ever do. Now is never that important. But now very much so dictates your later. And so we all, okay, need to be very aware of how minuscule we look at now, not realizing that a couple of years from now, you're going to regret what you did. Yeah, I try not to say regret because I don't want that to be a negative kind of thing. But um, I think the basis of regret is you just didn't give it a little bit more thought. You didn't give it a little bit more thought. It's either a decision that you did not give more thought to or a decision that you buried because giving it thought overwhelmed you. That's pretty much the basis of being in regret or having any regret in my opinion let's move on because i see the way you're looking at me okay so 32 he said look i'm dying of starvation rebuking the name of jesus said esau what good is my birthright to me now 33 but jacob said first you must swear that your birthright is mine so esau swore on an oath thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then he got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Pause. Why is it that we always get wisdom or the rationale kicks in once the decision was already made like this statement this last verse in Genesis 25 it doesn't say he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn and then Esau ate the meal and then got up and mm -mm. the very last sentence is he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn the sentence before that says Esau ate the meal then got up and left you ever um, heard somebody got pregnant by somebody and now all of a sudden he ain't ish, right? Excuse my French. <laughs> um, I'm not having no baby with him. This is mm -mm, because I can or what? All, all, all the rationales kicking in now. What happened? Because after the decision is made, I think the wisdom kicks in. Just like with Adam and Eve. Uh. Why I didn't see y'all was naked before then? All this time y'all been walking around naked and you didn't see it until you ate the fruit. And then once you ate the fruit, you looked at each other and was like, uh, you don't have no clothes on. But how would you even know what clothes, what, 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 what that even is? Because nobody else around you has clothes on. But maybe you were seeing the lions and the tigers and the bears and you were like, they have furry stuff. So then maybe we need something because we don't look like everybody else. So you started pulling together, you know, fig leaves and all the other stuff and trying to get yourself covered because why? Because now you see yourself through a different lens. After you made a poor decision. It started from the garden. 
Esau is just one of many of us, right? The question and your challenge that I want us all to truly partake in is asking this one life safety net question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Means that you can stand in something in present tense and go, Mm-mm, I don't think that this is worth it. That you can stand at, have your phone in your hand, have the person's number up and say, is it worth it? <laughs> is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? That you can go ahead and get, as you're getting dressed, like, ooh, I don't think. That you can stop yourself from shaving, hmm? Because you're getting ready to have company. You can ask yourself before you open that door, is this worth it? That you can go ahead and before you make that decision to do something immoral at your job, before you go ahead and do something that you know, you can feel that little inkling like, ah, like if you don't override that, you cannot say that you didn't feel that inkling. Because if you ask yourself, is it worth it? You'll save yourself from saying it wasn't worth it. Then you'll have somebody sitting across from you asking was it worth it? But the the statement, was it worth it, means you already did it. <laughs> That's somebody asking someone on the other side of the prison visitation window, was it worth it? That's someone who they're, they're sitting in some type of court because what old girl, what old boy did, was it worth it? Yeah, that's someone who decided to, in anger, play bumper cars and then has to go get the car fixed and have the mechanic look up and say, was it worth it? Was it worth it means that it's a decision or two too late. You can save yourself by asking, is this worth it? Because that means that you are currently at the fork in the road to make a great decision. The Bible says, uh, I put before you life and death, choose life. So I think that when we're on the brink of making a decision, we can ask ourselves, which one gives life? I can go ahead and do this, or I can go ahead and do that. But which one has long-term positive results? Right? Do you see that differently now? Because I just, when I read the story of Esau, I was like, buddy, you did that for some stew? Some lentils and stew and some bread. It wasn't even macaroni and cheese. Like, I could have understood if it was pizza. Like, but I guess if I spoke to Esau, he would have said, but you don't know how exhausted I was. It was a hard day. It was like this many degrees outside. It was humid. I got up before the, the sun came out, and I came back once the sun went back down. I'm talking about all day slaving out there in these trees. Like, I have enough for my mother to deep freeze at least a month worth of, of me because I was out there just doing what needed to be done. Like I take my job very seriously and I gave it all that I had. And by the time that I walked in the door, I didn't even get to take off my sandals. Good. I just smelled that stew and was like, let me, mm. bruh, uh, serve me a bowl. <laughs> I'm tired. At this point, I, I know if I, if I hit the shower, I'm going to sleep hungry. Like th- that, that's how I feel at this moment. And I'm sure all of those, you know, revelations and descriptions would have been like, you know what? I get it. Because I haven't been tired to the point that I was like, listen, I, I'm probably going to. 
I just got to go through a drive-thru, okay? Because I don't have the strength to boil nothing, warm up nothing. I just needed hot, fresh, ready, have a nice day. Like, I get it. But I think in that circumstance, overriding that would have been really helpful. And I say that not in a judgmental seat. I say that from the seat of being realistic. Because you know what? If you're honest, if you look back on something that you were not supposed to do or something that did not yield the result that you wanted in your life, there was a moment that there was this little inkling of, I don't think you should do this. And we overrode that. So I believe wholeheartedly that there is a moment of, "Mm, but make this decision. And we override that to do the thing we're not supposed to do. So then why not just override the temporal temptation to do whatever it is that won't fix it now, but will go ahead and help you later? Bruh, won't you go ahead and say, um, I'm feeling some kind of way tonight. So you know what? I know myself. Mm-mm, I'm going to turn my phone off. A post. So you overrode. You see what I'm saying? You overrode the, uh, I just want to call such and such. I can't. I can't. <sighs> just one more time. Let me get it out of my system. Like, you know, that's not. Stop using that excuse. You know, that's not what it is. One more time, Lisa, one more time, Lisa, one more time. Stop playing with, at least not with me. Stop playing with yourself. Like, like literally. Like, like at this point, like, can we not just, you played yourself. I would rather you say, I'm going to turn off my phone and wake up in the morning and say, Woo, thank God. I don't, I don't know if it was the songs I was listening to or if I had a little sip too much. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you what. Um, was feeling some type of way, and, I, and I'm glad. Thank the Lord. Matter of fact, um, I'm going to just delete the whole number, and I'm going to just show super-de-duper. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to show restraint because I can't. Opposed to flip it, verse it. Opposed to you making that call. Such and such coming over or you going over there. You you get that that itch scratched. You wake up in the morning. You like I played myself. Yo yo I completely. Oh my gosh! What did I do? I t- Ugh! And then now what's gonna happen for the next couple of weeks? You are gonna have emotional indifferences because now you need to determine. Okay, because uh, w- what the reality is is that what you whatever you said prior to that visit. I'm not talking to you no more. I have nothing to say. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can just put all that in the garbage because you showed such and such. No, you very much don't keep your word. And the only way that you get out of bondage with certain people is keeping your word and having an action behind it that is so definite that they're like, yo, I think this person is serious this time. Uh, I need you to go ahead and change your, you don't have to change your entire number. But I, if but if that's what you need to do, go ahead and do that. I need you to add people to the block list like you can ready to have a block party. I need you to start changing your accesses, your whatever. I need you to change so much that this person has to change their mind about you. Like that's where we're at now. Because at this juncture in our life, are we really going to live a life where we're tripping over the same stones? Bruh, stop. Listen. I need you to start uh, jumping over some of these little small pebbles and stones. You ain't even get to the stage of your life yet. You stepping over stones. We ain't even get to the staircase yet. 
And I believe as you climb the staircase, you'll be able to look back and say, thank God I got out of that. You treating circumstances like it's quicksand. Like as soon as you met such and such, you got stuck. No, you tripped and decided to stay down. No one has a hold over you, regardless of what it feels like. Yes, there are strongholds, and I get it, and it's super real, and it's super spiritual, but you have the same power that Jesus had, the same power that raised him from the dead, you have. And no, I'm not trying to be a Bible thumper, but you can't tell me that Rakim, okay, and old girl got more power over you than what Jesus had when he got pulled from the grave. No way. It, you know how you get out of quicksand? Real quick in a hurry, you go to God, you like, listen, in and of myself, I'm not going to be able to do it, sir. I don't know if my mother used to struggle with this, my grandmother used to, uh, between her and granddaddy, I don't know what it is, but this thing is strong. I'm talking S-K-R-O-N-G, sir, okay? It's strong. And so I'm going to need your help immediately. Holy Spirit, I need you to give me the power that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. This person that breathes the same air that I do does not have more power over me than the power that is in me. And so you said that if I pray for anything and I put Jesus' name on that, that it has to be done in the name of Jesus, I pray this with a mustard side of faith because you said all we need to have is a mustard seed size faith so I'm asking for exactly that right now in this prayer in the name of Jesus and I know it's already done and you start walking things that complement your prayer the problem is is that you're walking around and you live in a life like you didn't just pray for that don't ask God help me to have obedience in an area and then there you are at the drive-through of that particular issue didn't you just pray on that like, what happened? Like, uh, can I give you a spoiler alert? You're going to have to have some level of discipline to have your prayers come to fruition. There's a certain level of discipline. It doesn't have to be grandiose, but you're going to have to apply something. Just to let you know you have a part in that manifestation, okay? Was it worth it? can always be controlled by asking yourself in the present tense, is this worth it? Mm. <laughs> that helped a lot of grandbabies. I ain't going to hold you. I, I feel it in me now. I'm getting ready to, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think this is going to be something that's great. But listen, um, I do feel like you got what you needed. You know what these conversations are, right? They're life-provoking conversations. Yes, conversations that who else is going to have with you but who? Your favorite homegirl. I'm super excited. I feel like uh, I need to go ahead and tell my husband what we just talked about. I don't tell him everything about what we say because, you know, this is a safe space, and I'm not the gossiping grandbaby. That's your cousin. Um, But as far as you and I go, I'm just going to give him the – because I think that was good, the was it worth it, is it worth it kind of thing, right? Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm going to talk to you later, and I'm going to go ahead and let you let me go, okay? Later.